Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hurth. Today is Monday, October 7th, and it's a great day to be a Hokies football fan. Was not sure we'd be saying that after uh, after coming out of this weekend, but there is a lot to talk about, a lot to digest with the game against Miami. Uh, there are also some other games we're going to talk about. Crazy week in the ACC. I think we uh, we leave the weekend knowing what we already know, and that is that the ACC Coastal is absolutely chaotic. You cannot make sense of it from week to week, and you just have to sit down, buckle up, and uh, and watch it unfold. But before we jump into all that, Tim, what's going on? Everything is going on. Everything's happening all at once. It's one of those sports weekends that is extremely rare. It's like when the planets line up or Haley's Comet comes around. All of my teams are winning. Uh, Liverpool escaped with a win against Leicester City um, at home. Uh, Last-minute penalty kick. Very exciting. James Milner buried it to give us three points. Very important because Manchester City lost, which means Liverpool is eight points clear ahead in the Premier League. So we have that. Tech won against Miami. Um, you know, obviously everybody knows that coming off college football. And then we're looking at the Braves uh, winning their postseason game against the St. Louis Cardinals today, which is super, super exciting. Um, the Braves one game away from clinching that series now. And the Panthers won today. Uh, Christian McCaffrey absolutely ran all over the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a weird weekend for me. Given the teams that I follow, typically it's I don't get many perfect weekends like this. There's always some kind of disappointment. Um, you know, my feelings get hurt somehow, so I wish I could just bottle up this feeling and save it for next weekend when inevitably two out of those four, same four teams I just mentioned will uh, trip and fall flat on their faces. Yeah, Christian McCaffrey looks like uh, looks like an MVP candidate. I mean, that oh dude is just straight up balling out. And uh, yeah. somebody else who looked like an MVP candidate today was Aaron Jones for the Packers. And, uh, he did. That was, uh, that was a game that... Kind of started making me nervous there at the end. They got up 31-3, and then they let the Cowboys right back in, but, you know, they eventually held them off. Um, you know, there was there were some good games this weekend, Tim. Uh, well, there were some good games, and then there were some, like, you know, not-so-good games, but you had to watch them. So, you know, SMU, triple overtime thriller against Tulsa. I don't know if you were watching this. <laughs> I, I was. was. I was watching this game over the Duke-Pitt game because – as this game got into overtime, Duke started making that game a little bit more interesting. Uh, but I was already committed at this point. And uh, the Mighty Mustangs are 6-0 and and bowl eligible. Them and Ohio State, the two only bowl eligible teams in college football. So obviously had that one. Uh, yeah, you know, as expected. The, started. Uh, right. the Iowa-Michigan game. Oh, man, that was good in a horrible way. I got to tell you, if you're an Iowa fan, I you know thoughts and prayers. Like That was rough. I'm sorry. I mean, I mean, Nate I Stanley's they, been their quarterback for what eight years, and he isn't able to play better than that. I think they Come got on. across the fifty-seven or eight times and had three points total Ugh. for the game. Gosh. So, uh, not sure what was going on there with uh, with old Iowa, but Michigan escapes by scoring ten points against the Big Ten foe. Um, and then you know the the ACC, the ACC Coastal. But before we jump into that. You know, just want to remind you, you know, thanks for uh, thanks for listening. Be sure to hit that subscribe button if it's your first time. Um, and then, of course, you know, tell your friends about us. You can find us anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Apple Podcasts and Spotify seem to be the faves. iHeartRadio as well. That's a new one. Or you can head over to chowderandgrits.com. Twitter, we want to converse with you. We have a lot of fun with that on the weekend. So, uh, again, thanks for uh, thanks for listening. 
Yeah, but, the Twitter um, was jumping this weekend too. So if you're, uh, you know, if you have a Twitter, follow us. If you don't have a Twitter, make one. Follow us, but be careful. Uh, Twitter is a dark place. So uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> be careful who you follow because that can get that can go from fun to not fun uh, real quick. So, so word of warning. Let's let's talk about the game that we're all here for. Virginia Tech, Miami, the Hokies. After the first quarter, didn't think I would be using this word to describe the game, but survives and beats <laughs> Miami 42-35. So, That's right. Uh, pretty incredible game for more reasons than one. And, you know, not, not the greatest football game we've ever seen. But I think as far as Fuente is concerned, it might be. Because, you know, regardless of how you feel about this coaching staff, and I want to talk about the coaches first. Right. Regardless of how you feel, you know, you have to leave this weekend feeling pretty good for those guys because (laughs) they they were they were taking some heat last week. And, you know, deservedly so, deservedly so. There you go. And, you know, I've seen twitter active like oh real hokies fans wouldn't do that blah 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 oh like, my gosh so are were you okay with what was happening like yeah. that's that's just my question to you and you know i'm not a big advocate of you know calling for people's heads and you know all this all this stuff and and everything that takes place over the course of a football season it's too up and down for that typically but what we right. had seen from virginia tech through the first four games of the season was was bad and we yeah. saw a team that, you know, would fold, couldn't answer, you know, offensively fairly anemic, you know, had some flashes here and there, but could not sustain. So going into this Miami game, you know, expectations were pretty low. Yeah. They were a two-touchdown favorite. They got annihilated on college game day. Kirk Herbstreet, you know, before the game starts, is saying, you know, I'm not sure Justin Fuente is the right fit for this job anymore. You know, I liked him in in 2016 but now it just it feels like the culture's off Fuente and the Hokies came out and in the first half they put up 28 points four turnovers in the first quarter they got Jaron William benched after six pass attempts because he had three interceptions it was it was almost like you were in some kind of alternate reality because (laughs) the way Virginia Tech has played this season was nothing like we had seen in that first quarter. That's right. And the biggest, my biggest takeaway was like, yeah, okay, you know, we had turnovers, we were getting pressure, but we we were also taking advantage of those turnovers. And the one reason we were doing that was because of Hendon Hooker. And the way that this guy came in, first start on the road, very strong defense that he was going up against, not really, uh, you know, out. Miami fans could be pretty hostile, but the stadium was half empty. So he could have been playing in a tougher venue, I'd say. But no doubt. either way, what he brings to the offense is just an added dimension. And the thing I noticed the most is just, you know, his mobility, obviously. He's a dynamic runner. And there was multiple plays, I think, on his first drop back, really. You know, Miami, the defensive end, whoever it was, had beaten um, the offensive lineman off the edge, the left tackle. Mm-hmm. And it looked like a blindside hit was coming on Hooker. And then out of nowhere, he just takes off and gets like a 16-yard gain. So from that moment on, you knew you had a guy who could get out of the pocket, could move the ball. 
it completely opened up the pass game. And we saw, you know, Dalton Keene and James Mitchell. I thought those two had retired. I I mean, <laughs> yeah, were Dal- they? Dalton Keene especially. Yeah, I were mean, they in the witness protection program? Like, where were they? We thought so. And we they were so. they were back this week. And that's not nothing to do with their play. It's just they were missing from this offense over the last three three weeks, especially Keene. Keene goes out, has three touchdowns. Mitchell has a touchdown, a rushing touchdown, also a huge catch down the stretch. But everything about this game, yeah, there's there's certain things that the team needs to work on. But I don't want to understate what this meant for Justin Fuente because he was a guy who was getting a lot of uh, a lot of mistreatment in the media, deserved deservedly so. Yeah. He was a guy who hadn't been showing a lot of emotion, doesn't show a lot of emotion in press conferences, and that is what it is. You know, some coaches don't like to talk to the press. I don't I don't really care about that. I don't really care what he's saying in the media necessarily. I mean, it's coaches speak anyways. He was a little bit more juiced up last night, I'd say. Sure, sure was. But seeing him on the sidelines, he was much more active. He looked like 2016 Justin Fuente. And when we saw Justin Fuente in 2016, he was much more fiery on the sidelines. It seemed like he was much more involved. And that just, over the last year and a half, just had seemed to to dissipate. That had gone away. So I'll take that. And then, obviously, the image that came out of the Hokies locker room at the end of the night where he was uh, jacked up, to say the least, was oh, yeah. it just kind of shows you what he was feeling from an emotional standpoint. So that's uh, oh, yeah. that's how I wanted to open it. I'll let you uh, say your piece. You know, I don't want to come off as a, a Fuente apologist. I'm not. Um, you know how I feel about Coach Fuente and how disappointed I was. Um, I'm still not sure where we stand as far as our coaches go, at least our head coaches. You know, we'll get into this. There was a, there. I took issue with a lot of stuff that was going on on offense still, even though there were there were good changes, I thought, that Cornelson made throughout that game, mostly with the game plan. Um, but I will say this, that Duke game was rock bottom. Um, the entire fan base had turned on him. Who knows what was going on in the athletic department of the, you know, itself. Those players were hanging their heads. They had zero fight. They looked like a team that didn't want to be on that field against Duke. It takes one heck of a coach at least one one heck of a coach as far as getting the team ready to play to go and turn around that team that was on the mat against Duke and get that team to fight like they did says a lot about the players on that team and as far as their character, their attitudes, what that team and what Virginia Tech means to them. But it also says a lot and even more so about Coach Justin Fuente and what he can do and what he can get out of players. He may not be the best recruiter in the world, and, and sadly that appears to be the case. And I'm not saying anything, this is not a statement about his job or anything about the future, but that takes talent. And there are only a handful of coaches, call it 30 to 40, I think, coaching right now that could have had that team turn around in the manner that he did. Because make no mistake, for a team that's offensively struggling, for a team with no confidence, to get them up to go play that Miami team, is impressive because they are no slouch on the defensive side of the ball. That was my first take home 
was well done, Justin Fuente. I ripped you when you weren't getting the job done, so I will give you credit when you do get the job done. Secondly, obviously the biggest takeaway for me is Hennon Hooker. Now, I've been telling you guys in, in, you know, before this podcast even ran that we really needed a mobile quarterback, I thought, to make the offense run. You and I had those discussions last year before we even started this thing. I hate to say I told you so because I don't know the, what the future of this offense is going to look like, and this could be a flash in the pan. But that offense, when you have a mobile quarterback, the scheme works. The scheme just works. I mean, look at Deshaun McLeese. The guy looked like he wasn't even a Division I running back up until this game. And in the read option area, the way Hendon ran it opened up running lanes for Deshaun McLeese and made up for the fact that our offensive line isn't the greatest run-blocking offensive line in the history of college football. And so, that's, that, that was the best part because yeah. we saw this offensive line. There was a lot of movement on the offensive line. There was shifting to the left. There was shifting to the right. And that moves the defense to one side of the field. And that's why we saw Dalton Keene wide open for yeah. half the game. Well, and, look, I mean, you just look at the play design. And, and I think this is Dalton Keene's either first or second touchdown. You had a quarterback rollout right. The, the line moved right, slid protection right. The wide receivers flooded right. Dalton Keene took a drag to the left was wide open. That kind of misdirection and trickery in the play calling is something we have not. Either we haven't been doing it intentionally for some reason, and that reason I couldn't tell you, or that was a wrinkle that was just added this week because, wow, that was not just one play. That was one play where it worked very effectively, but we we used uh, overloads, floods, motions, all sorts of things to keep Miami off balance, and it worked beautifully and the other thing I want to say that was really good about that they tailored that game plan to make that as easy as possible on Hennon Hooker he didn't have to make throws you know like Aaron Rodgers he didn't even have to make throws like Ryan Willis we were giving him screens we were giving him short drag routes we were giving him easy plays and what what Hendon has that Ryan Willis doesn't have and is pretty hard to teach he runs the spread option and the read option very very well he made his decisions quickly, even on scrambles and quarterback draws, which I thought were masterfully called as well. We hit them with some quarterback draws that I thought were beautiful, but he sees the holes like a running back, and, and that's a huge improvement on and, where we were. And to just kind of hit on your point, so yeah, we didn't need him to be Aaron Rodgers throughout most of the game. We didn't need him to step up and win the game with his arm, but when we did... He did. Yeah. And that's what really sold me on Hooker coming out of this game was, you know, I thought he played well. You know, this this was a game overall where you really can't look at the, the stat sheet and get a sense for how the game went because, you know, Miami was coming into this game averaging 59 yards per game allowed the defense. Right. And they had only allowed three rushing scores the entire season. And so – Virginia Tech comes in, they ran it for 153 yards and three touchdowns. So that right there is extremely impressive. But when Hooker really needed to lead the team to take them downfield to recapture the lead that was gone, the 28-point lead was gone. He did just that. And he put an absolute dime right into the basket oh my gosh. of Damon Hazleton. Watching it live, I thought Hazleton wasn't even looking, and I was like, well, that's an overthrow. And 
all of a sudden he he just reaches his hands out and catches it. I thought that was just an unbelievable throw. And you know, they end up driving down the field scoring a touchdown right there. Yeah. Leaving about a minute on the clock, but And to quote one of my buddies, Justin, not you Justin, different Justin. Uh big time players make big time plays. What we saw from Hendon on that last drive, he looked like a big-time player. He rose to that occasion. And for a guy who we're still iffy, we're not sure about that arm, that pass to Hazleton was – I mean, you can't overstate how big that was for that Virginia Tech football team. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, I mean, that right there, you you know, again, you know, Hooker came out and he said he didn't have the best day throwing and – you know, 10 for 20, 184 yards, three touchdowns. Like, it looked like he was pretty good through the air for me. My favorite part, one, again, let us down the field to score the game-winning touchdown. Two, zero turnovers. Yeah, so, and, you know, and you know Fuente just loves that. I mean, the key, the key to Hendon's game, he was efficient, which is incredibly important, but he was also dynamic, which I can't— I, Hendon, I, we knew he was mobile. I think I, I was underselling actually how mobile he is. He is a very gifted runner. So, you know, let's talk about the defense a little bit because I think for me, I feel like the defense played a little bit better than the box score. I think so too. And coming in, they had one sack. They had one turnover in two ACC games. They had seven sacks. Four interceptions, a forced fumble. Could have been more. Could have been a couple of defensive touchdowns in there had they not blown the whistle on the fumble and right. blown that dead. And then the uh, Khalil Lad- Ladler uh, interception that was uh, brought back because of the quote-unquote roughing the passer on Jared Hewitt. <laughs> and I think the only reason that was considered roughing the passer was because his hand was inside of the pads of, uh, of Nikosi Perry. But... You know, they did allow 469 yards through the air, so the second most passing yards allowed by a Virginia Tech defense in a win uh, since 1987. So, a lot of yards. My favorite part about it was how the defensive line played. So, we said seven sacks, only gave up 94 yards on the ground, and 62 of those came on one play to DJ Dallas, which was the worst play the defense made all night because they had Mm. him wrapped up two, three times, and then he broke away and got 62 yards for the touchdown which ended up being a pretty huge touchdown at the time so you know this is not a bud foster defensive old but this also is a different college football than it was 20 years ago yeah everybody's running the spread everybody's got dynamic athletes three four five six on the six on the field on the field on the field, on the field at one, one time there's a lot of play with the ball the game is played at a much faster speed but the one thing you have to do in today's today's day and age, you can give up 563 yards and still win, which is what Virginia Tech did. But they took advantage of mistakes that Miami made. They forced the turnovers, and they converted them into that's points. Right. And that's something they just haven't been doing this year. But they did it against Miami. In the defense, my favorite part about the defense, and really this entire team, was that they showed that they could be punched in the mouth and respond. Yep which is something that we didn't see last week against Duke. And so that resiliency, it's just a word that we have not been able to associate with Virginia Tech football over the last year. No, quite the opposite is what we would associate with Virginia Tech football. Um, 
And, you know, just to take it on the chin like we took it last week and to see that fight from those everyone on that team, um, you know, incredible. And, and like I said before, credits to the coaching staff, credits to the players. And I agree with you. The, the, the defense, if you just looked at the stats, I think you would, you would be uh, harshly treating the defense on this one because, look, I get it. Um, they, they passed the ball all over us. One, we got out early to a 28 to nothing lead or 28 to seven lead. That's going to happen. Um, when you, there's going to be a lot, going to be a passing lot of passing. Um, and for a team like us who has a, you know, we do have a, a, a nagging ability to blow coverages at really bad times. And that still reared its ugly head, which you want to see that tightened up. But at the same time, those interceptions were not just mistakes. Those were, those were really good coverage. Um, we were putting the quarterback in, in tough positions, not only because of the pass coverage. Uh, credit to Farley, who was all over his man all night. But we were getting a great pass rush um, from everybody in that offensive line or defensive line. And given that the defensive line had been such a weak spot for us going in and our inability to get pressure had been such an issue, it was nice to see us, even though, you know, the caveat here is it's Miami and their offensive line is terrible. I get that. But it was extremely nice to see players uh, get through Jalen Griffin in this case, Belmar, making plays on that defensive line that we need so sorely right now. And if we can get that kind of defensive play moving forward, we might be able to salvage a season out of this yet. There's no doubt. And, you know, one thing I'll say about the defense as well is they were on the field for about 65% of that second half. Oh, yeah. Run and down. part of the issue was the offense wasn't moving the ball. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, that's half. a great lead. So, in. Why don't you start talking about things that weren't so great? Yeah, so there were seven offensive series in the second half. Two of them had more than three plays. And the most plays we ran on one drive was five. Yikes. So that just shows you how much the Virginia Tech offense slowed down. First series, three plays, nine yards. Second series, three plays, minus one yard. Both less than two minutes. Third series, three plays, two yards, a minute 33. Fourth series, four plays, 80 yards, a minute 35. Take it to the house. Fifth series, three plays, minus four yards, 56 seconds that they had the ball. Yeah. Sixth series, three plays, one yard, 49 seconds. So they barely held the ball on offense the entire second half. You know, that just can't Not happen. at all. And we almost saw uh, we almost saw Virginia Tech pull to Florida State where they get up to a really big lead and then all of a sudden, you know, their offense is either moving too fast or not at all and the defense gets gassed yep. because the Miami offense was on the field a lot. And even if you go back and watch the first half of the game, you know, the Miami receivers weren't having a problem getting open, you know, because what it looked like to me was Virginia Tech was playing pretty soft zone coverage because they were blitzing so much. And so you saw a lot of guys just in the middle of the field wide open running in between the, the linebackers and the safeties. And there was a couple of blown coverages there from uh, from the safeties. But, you know, Brevin Jordan, Jeff Thomas, those guys had huge days. And Nikosi Perry took advantage. So we were pretty tough on Nikosi in the offseason. But, you know, he had a huge game. And to to come in and uh, take over like that as the backup was was pretty impressive for me to see. Um, that being said, if you're a Miami fan, 
you know, I think you, I'm not sure if you're in the, the spot right now where you've got questions for your quarterback, but, you know, something was going on with Jaron Williams in this game, and I don't know if it was injury or what, but three interceptions in your first six throws, like, you pretty much had to pull him at that time. And then to see Nikosi play like he did, I think it's natural that there's probably going to be questions about who the quarterback is going forward, especially with a team like Virginia coming up. But for me, the defense was completely gassed by the end of that game. And I was nervous when Virginia Tech scored with a minute left and they were giving Miami the ball back because there was plenty of time to drive down the field and score quickly, and that defense held. And so one thing I want to call out, a couple things, Caleb Farley, you know, that that's a guy who struggled a lot last year. And I thought he had a really good game. It, even if you take the two interceptions out of it, he made some really nice open field tackles. You know, in coverage, he was pretty good. I was really happy with how he played overall. Jermaine Waller has looked really oh, yeah. good just all season long. And uh, Alan Tisdale finally kind of got the brunt of the action at the backer spot. And, you know, Bud talked about it a little bit, and he said, you know, he hasn't been unhappy with how Dax has played, but Tisdale is getting it to a point where he's got to put Tisdale on the field because of, of what he's been able to do and uh, succeed at. So he had nine tackles on the day, uh, half tackle for a loss. You know, Bud did say he is going to start doing some type of rotation with Ashby Holy or Hollyfield and Tisdale, and also mentioned that he liked Hollyfield more at Mike uh, than at Backer, which I don't think is surprising no. to anybody. Um, but we obviously know that he's not going to uproot Rayshard Ashby, which I misspoke about last uh, last week, where I said Hollyfield over Ashby. That is not what I meant. I meant Ashby because obviously. Ashby is the anchor of this defense. Yeah, so, I mean, he's an absolute stud. Yeah. And, you know, the, the shame of it is, and this is not a knock on Dax, Dax just athletically is more suited to that middle linebacker spot. Um, Tisdale has got that rangy speed and athleticism that we need on that field to complement Ashby. Those two make a heck of a one-two punch there at linebacker. Um, and, you know, even though that, you know, you're going to sit there and you're going to say, oh, Tisdale, you know, his biggest play was that puke down on the goal line. And even though it was very impressive from an exit velocity standpoint, that guy was all over the field, all over the field. And this is the second week in a row that he's just jumped off the tape. I think we've got something really, really special in him. Um, the linebacker situation is in a good spot all of a sudden. Once we start working Tisdale in, we're a different unit. Yeah, and, you know... I think the defense is going to be okay as long as the offense can can help them throughout. If the offense can start sustaining drives more consistently and start, you know, mixing in those long those long possessions in the second half, in the first half, not just one every three or four, you know, sets of downs, that's something that needs to be worked on. There's some big matchups coming up for Virginia Tech, and I, I know the ACC is kind of a laughing stock <laughs> across the nation right now. But if you look at the ACC, there's a lot of very solid football teams mm -hmm. in the conference. And it's just not getting the respect that I think it should. Now, it, it shoots itself in the foot when you've got Boston College losing to mm -hmm. Kansas. Or if you got Virginia Tech looking poor against Furman and Old Dominion. And you got Miami barely squeaking by Central Michigan. And it doesn't help that the... Teams that are really solid that are surprising this year are named Wake Forest and Pitt. Exactly.
But that's the thing. So Virginia Tech showed that they can go in and they can win against a really solid defense, a unit that's much better than what the offense has showed this year. But at the same time, you look at Miami, and they have done nothing this year. They've beaten Central Michigan and Bethune-Cookman. They've lost to Florida, North Carolina, and Virginia Tech now. So now they're at 2-3. and three. They're 0-2 in the conference. You know, I'm not... I'm not I don't want to like take away from the win because the win was huge for Virginia Tech. But let's also temper it a little bit. Miami hasn't beaten anybody this no. year. And they've looked pretty bad in one of the wins where they were a 30-point favorite and won by sure. five. So there's always that element. The Miami defense is still very good, and the Virginia Tech offense stepped up to the challenge. What we need to see now, Tim, is there are some big quarterback matchups coming up for this Virginia Tech defense. You got Sam Howell, you got Ian Book, you got Jamie Newman, you got Bryce Perkins. And even guys like Kenny Pickett. Yeah. You know, they're going to be throwing it 40, 50 times a game. You better be ready because there are a lot of athletes on these teams and a lot of guys that can uh that can make you miss and you know, I think the offense is still going to be a work in process. You know, let's see what happens now that there's a little bit of uh film on Hendon Hooker. Um, good news for Virginia Tech. They've got Rhode Island coming up, so that gives them another week to kind of just get ready. There could not be a better-timed matchup against Rhode Island than what is happening for Virginia Tech with, uh, with the matchup next week. But then right after that, you got North Carolina at home. So it's much better to be 3-2 and two than 2-3, and 1-2 and two in conference than 0-3. And, and it's three. always good There's to beat a, the U, baby. Always good to beat the U. There's obviously renewed hope in the program. Uh, there's a little bit of a pep in the step with uh, with the Virginia Tech players. And, you know, a couple of quotes I wanted to hit on, Tim. And so you were talking about the coaches. And let me find it here. So Bud Foster, he said in the, in the postgame, you know, we didn't win pretty, and that's not what it's all about. It's just about winning. And we really challenged our kids to really sell out, to come down here, and to give it their all. And we didn't want them to try to win. We wanted them to come here to win. That mm. was kind of our message all week. If you didn't believe it, don't get on the bus. We'll take 30 and come down here and fight and win. And so I thought that was kind of like, you know, walking the talk yeah. a little bit. You know, because we've been hearing a lot of talk, but we haven't seen it actually executed. And what he said there is what I felt like is what we saw on the field. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the other thing that I really enjoyed was a uh, quote of the day for me from Dalton Keene talking about blocking Trayvon <laughs> Hill. I knew he was going to play hard, but if I hit him enough times, he's not going to want anymore. Ooh. I think that I think that was a little bit of a shot. Well done, Dalton. Right also stealing his sack celebration as a touchdown celebration was extremely well done. Um, my favorite things from the win, obviously seeing that, that win over the Canes, always so good, and one that was completely unexpected. It was nice to see Fuente have some fire on that sideline. Um, you know, he dropped a couple very passionate let's effing go uh, in the fourth and the third quarter when things started to get a little hairy. Um, it, it Finally, we saw that it mattered to Fuente, and some people may say, and I know you especially say, you know, that doesn't really matter. But even uh, even you, I know you agree on this. And sometimes you just have to kind of let the passion come out. And he did. And I think it was important. He's not a complete robot. Also, I want to say, you know, I saw him in the post-game celebration. 
hat backwards, letting out just a primal scream in that locker room. I love that. I love that our football team's not dead in the water. I really hope it can continue. I think it might. There's a chance. However, I'm not sold. I'm still 50-50, just like I'm sure you are. The play calling that we're getting on offense from Brad Cornelson is still very bad. I think the scheming looked good, especially when it was tailored to Hendon Hooker. I thought that was extremely well done. So whoever was responsible for the scheming, give them an A-plus gold star. The play calling, extremely inconsistent. You can't have a third quarter where you gain 20 yards. Not in that kind of game. And, and, and you're going to just set your, your defense out there to die if you can't consistently get drives that are six plays, seven plays, eat up a little bit of clock and give your defense a breather. So my complaints with Cornelson are still there. Still not sold on him, and I think we're riding him for far too long. Hopefully some changes are made there if they haven't been already. Um, and based on the inconsistency in the play calls, it's obvious that he's still making those. Um, and two... The last thing I'll complain about is we have got to figure out how to get a running back to run the ball when it's not in the read option. It seems like we have only one run play in our playbook outside of the read option, and that's hand the ball to the running back and have him run directly into the back of the center for no yards. And the and, jet oh, sweep. How could I forget the jet sweep? I, I forgot. We obviously have two plays in our playbook. We've, we've <laughs> got to figure out how to move the ball outside of that read option on the ground. And I know when it comes to Hendon, he gives you the ability to do some quarterback sneak, some quarterback power to kind of open that up. But we got to figure it out. There was a one toss play that we had that I thought was really nice, but we really only went to it one time. Um, so we're going to need to figure that out. And that's something that's very important and is going to help us with the first point, which is we need to figure out how to consistently get those kind of drives that's going to give the defense breathers. Otherwise, we're going to keep running into situations like we did um, on Saturday where teams come back on us or we can't you know, keep a seven to 14 point lead because the defense is eventually going to wear down. We're going to end up turning into FSU North where, you know, the, the offense does great. We get a, you know, a, a couple touchdown lead. And then by the third quarter, fourth quarter, our defense can't hold it because they're gassed. So let's focus on that. But man, I'm going to enjoy this win first for just, these are going to be the best seven days. I needed this. I was in a dark place in my Hokie fandom. So it's nice to see a little bit of light at the end of this tunnel. And I don't know where we'll be with the staff. I don't know where we're going to be with the team at the end of the year. We can't really take too much out of this, although it's great to have some hope at quarterback, and it's great to see some slight changes made where changes were needed. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you're a Virginia Tech fan, what you want to see is the team come out and build off of this. You know, if we come out flat against Rhode Island, you know, it's it's going to take a lot of this momentum away. So you want to see the team come out, beat the absolute tar out of Rhode Island because they're one in four. And if they don't, you know, that would be a disappointment and then get ready for North yeah. Carolina. And it's a good kind of, you know, I'm not going to say North Carolina's a warm up game, but they don't have the defense that they're going to be facing in November because you open November with Notre Dame. You've got Pitt in November. You've got Virginia in November. Those are three really tough defenses. So this offense is going to have to figure out how to sustain because they got away with it against Miami because they got up to such a big lead. But if you go back and you really watch that that second half, you know, if they're not up 28 to 7, you know, things could have been very different. So, you know, 
take it for a win. It's uh, still a lot of work to do. I think anybody will tell you that that is involved with the program right now, but a win's a win at the end of the day. It is a good day to be a Virginia Tech Cokies fan, a bad day to be a University of Miami fan, uh, which should make it all even more fun for us. A couple things I want to talk about around the game, Tim. So uh, State of the U, a Miami uh, SB Nation blog, had a had a tweet that went out that I wanted to run by you just to get your opinion. So they said, remember when Al Golden single-handedly saved Mike London's job at Virginia for years by finding a way to lose to that inferior team? Manny Diaz is doing that same favor for Justin Fuente right now. I guess my primary reaction to that would be, is Virginia Tech inferior to Miami? No. What is Miami Nothing. done? And... If you're a Miami fan, tell me, because I want to know, what has the U done other than put on their little rings and put on their turnover chain, which they didn't put on against Virginia Tech, might I add. Virginia Tech just stuffed that one in the lunch pail. What have they done? Nothing. Especially in the Manny Diaz era. They've done nothing. No. So what are what kind of comment is that when Al Golden single hand, that was Manny Diaz's First game as a head coach against Virginia yeah. Tech. They're just they're the ghost of Christmas past, and all they do is rattle their chains like they've done anything since the ACC became a thing, at least the new ACC as we know it in 2005. Miami's done nothing, and, and you'll never meet a more entitled group right now than Miami fans. Miami had a really good season in 2017, or a really good two, two months. months. And, and it was really fool's gold ever, if you want to if you then, really want to analyze yeah, it. That's exactly what it was. And ever since then, it's like the U is back, and guess what? They're not. They're not back. And it's okay. It's okay. You're going to have to kind of reframe the lens at which you look at things, especially if that's if that tweet is the way that you are looking at things. I'm not sure, man. That, that seems a little unfair. It, at the very least, I think you could say that Miami and Virginia Tech are on equal footing right now because both have been kind of underwhelming. Um, you know, in recent years, since Virginia Tech's real heyday in the modern ACC era, which was, you know, around 2008 to 2012, 2011, let's call it. It's been a while for Virginia Tech, too, but we're only three years removed from an ACC championship appearance. Um, we're right there with Miami as far as all of those things are concerned. And, you know, for now, it, it's it's a bunch of teams with a lot of potential, but you, you can't make that tweet in, in good faith and really expect to and make that analogy work. And and as critical as I am of Justin Fuente, he's no Mike London. Come on. Yeah. Or Al Golden. Uh, I'd also like to talk about our friend Dusty. Dusty Dvorak, I believe. Oh, so God, Dusty. So Dusty and Mark Jones, who Mark Jones is a uh, pretty well-known Miami fan, if you've ever watched any coverage from Mark Jones. But they were seen high-fiving in the booth after a Hail Mary, and really ESPN just in general, there was no segment that wasn't related to the University of Miami or the city of Miami the entire game. Uh, It was very obvious who they thought was going to win, who they wanted to win. Uh, That didn't end up happening. But I will just say, to see commentators in the booth, and I'm not one of these, like, bigoted oh how dare you have any allegiance to a football team i get it you're a human being you have an allegiance to a, a certain program uh you know your bias might come out here and there 
there's a rule in the press box and it's no cheering and they were actively cheering throughout the entire game and I just kind of look back on it now because it's pretty funny because they lost and if you're not a uh, follower of Dusty Dvorak <laughs> which I'm not but go search his name on Twitter he's he's got some really uh really funny tweets out there right now and he's obviously uh let the uh wrath of Hokies fans and really just college football fans that aren't the University of Miami fans get to him with some of his responses. So just wanted to call that out. If you're going to be uh, so pro one team and be cheering in the booth, you got to be prepared. Well, yeah, but it wasn't just pro one team. I mean, it was even the commentary itself was tilted. Um, The the high five was weird enough, but all the other issues they were having that were technical in nature, some, um, you know, mispronouncing names and, and using wrong names for Virginia Tech players and you know not pointing stuff that was happening on the football field out like any good color guy should be doing that's one thing but it, what's worse is the way he's reacting now when you get called on this stuff and and look whether it was or wasn't intentional the bias was clearly there and you know it really doesn't get me worked up what does get me worked up or when you read tweets from him saying for all the crazies that continue to lash out at me i've already had someone that works for the vatech football which i hate that it's vt um football reach out and apologize for their moronic fans hating he added i listened to the whole broadcast and appreciate you being a pro and heard all the vt love sleep tight come on man I mean, how petty can you absolutely be, one, to say that there was any VT love present? I mean, there really wasn't. Um, Not that it's a big deal. I don't need to hear VT love when I tune in for a game. But just own up to this stuff or don't comment on it. What what good are you doing by being petty, petty enough to, to slant an entire fan base based on some hate that you're getting on Twitter? Like, if that's the case, then every college football fan base is moronic. Don't use words like that because you got upset because you're being called out and being held to task and being held accountable for a, a broadcast in which you participated in, which was highly tilted towards one direction from all of the fluff pieces to all of the commentary to the high-fiving of a Hail Mary completed. Just get with it. Realize that it looks bad and move on from it. But for him to act so petty after that in those tweets, just really, and I, this is, I like Dusty before this. I, I still think Dusty's an all right guy. It's just a really, really bad look for him. And I mean, he, he played at Oklahoma. Right. He didn't even play at Miami. He's got to so. hate Miami. What are you doing? Right. I, I don't get it. Anything else you want to say about the Virginia Tech game? No. I mean, nothing I want to say other than, man, it was great to have a little pep in our step now moving forward. And, um, Luckily, we keep playing a part in the fact that the U is uh, not back quite yet. So, yeah, it it feels good to have that win because being three and two instead of two and three, it's a wildly different meaning, especially with uh, with that win being in conference. So there's still a chance for Virginia Tech. And uh, let's go ahead. Let's jump to North Carolina, Georgia Tech. So uh, UNC ends up winning 38-22. First thing I want to talk about, Tim. Did you see the Georgia Tech uniforms? I did. I did. I loved them. Yeah, they were great. Onyx gray uniforms. It was to raise awareness for the children's health care of Atlanta. Jeff Collins came out wearing a cape in the pregame. So that's a, the swaggy, that's a swaggy G the swaggy move. G, <laughs> that's a swaggy it just move. It keeps growing. Yeah. Like, I love, I love this guy. 
And uh, oh, did you also hear that he doesn't call it a depth chart? He calls it above the line. Yeah. Which has the acronym ATL. Yeah. This guy. This, <laughs> this guy. <laughs> you know, um, I'm not sure I dig that, but uh, you know, I really love how he's leaning into Atlanta wherever he can. It's a smart move. Um, and, you know, after having Paul Johnson for as long as they did, they need some swag back on that sideline. Yeah, so unfortunately for them, they are just not there. But I will say their quarterback, uh, redshirt freshman James Graham, it looks like they probably found their yeah, guy for the rest of the season. I think so. Looks like the best passer that they've had. Um, you know, 11 for 24, two touchdowns, two picks. He did have some nice throws down the field. I'm going to go ahead and assume they get Tobias Oliver on the field some way, somehow. They were splitting snaps, but... Tobias or Oliver was focused primarily just on running the football. He's too good of an athlete to be sitting on the bench. So, oh, for sure. You know, he'll be in the backfield or, you know, lining up in the slot somewhere. He'll be on that football field in some way. But, uh, you know, Sam Howell, once again, you know, looked pretty good. Um, he's got to be a leading candidate for ACC Rookie of the Year, although there's a guy at Louisville that we'll talk about in a second. Uh, but he lit up Georgia Tech. 376, four scores. He had four has 15 touchdown passes now and three interceptions but North Carolina had 587 total yards Javante Williams had 144 yards on the ground and they were 11 for 19 on third down so an efficient day for North Carolina they took care of business like we expected them to you know they were up 24 nothing at one point they were at least up 17 nothing at half I think it was 17 nothing is the the biggest that their lead got uh, before Georgia Tech started scoring but you know, Georgia Tech shut out in that first half, but scored 22 in the second, so they can take that and try to build off of it. Uh, but overall, nice uh, nice win for UNC coming off of an emotional game against Clemson last week. Yeah, and, and I'm with you. The uniforms were great. Jeff Collins is and always will be great, I think, at least from a personality standpoint. And, you know, I think he's got that program on track, and they're doing what they need to do for the time being. But efficiency from UNC um, they do what they needed to do. But I'm with you. Tobias Oliver is the most dynamic player on Georgia Tech. Um, you know, he may as well be a machine down in Vegas because he's got slot written all over him. So I hope they figure out how to get him lined up out wide um, and kind of work those intermediate spaces because you get the ball in his hands and stuff's going to happen. So, um, you know, hopefully by the end of the year, they figure out how to make, you know, make some noise with that offense in a way that they aren't right now. But um, you know, if you're a Georgia Tech fan, I think you're feeling pretty good about where your football team is, even though the results aren't quite there yet. Louisville takes down Boston College 41-39. If we want to talk about offense, another team <laughs> that came out with smoking hot unis. I uh, I really liked the uh, the Cardinals helmets. Yeah. They were white with like a black outline. They were, they were mm-hmm. pretty solid. They, I think it has something to do with there was some kind of pay tribute to Muhammad Ali. I, I didn't quite catch what they were for. Yeah. Um, but the schools combined him for 1,227 yards of offense, most of it passing. And this was a game where we expected the rushing games to really dominate. Um, but you know, they did rack up plenty of rushing yards, but it was really through the air. There were 16 plays of 20 plus yards in this game. JV on Hawkins, you know, right now he's my candidate for AC rookie of the year. He's not going to win it. It's going to be Sam Howell. But he had a career high in this game, 172 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Louisville did use two quarterbacks. Uh, so Cunningham, he, he went and changed his name. So it used to be Malik Cunningham, which that's his middle name, Malik. 
Now he goes by Mikhail or Michael. Okay. And I was watching the game and I can't remember if it's Mikhail or Michael. And the reason he goes by or started going by Malik is because people kept pronouncing his first name. So I get it, Mikhail or Michael. I have no idea what to call you. But he was 13 of 18 for passing, 288, uh, including a 59 yard touchdown. You know, he got rolled up on it at uh, one point in the third quarter. I thought he might have been done, uh, but he ended up coming back out. Evan Conley also had a nice day, 10 of 16 for 140. Uh, the bad news for Boston College, Tim, you know, not only did they lose this game, but it looks like they might have lost their quarterback, Anthony Brown, for some time. Goes down with a non-contact injury. Mm-hmm. Definitely looked like it was a knee. He was in crutches on the sideline. Uh, at the time, he was 6-for-7, 193, and a touchdown. So he was having a nice day. Uh, that is going to be a pretty devastating loss for the Eagles, who are now 3-3, three and 1-2 three, and two in conference. The uh, the backup, Dennis Grossell, passed for three touchdowns. And he started a little bit slow, but he kind of really yeah. settled in there towards uh, towards the latter part of the game and gave him a chance to win. So that's really all you can do and all you can ask for in a game like this. You know, the defenses may as well not even been on the field. Uh, A.J. Dillon had a solid day, 22 carries for 118. But, uh, you know, it um, it ended up going Louisville's favor. Their first conference win since November 18th, 2017. Wow. Boy, it's a long time. Yeah. Well, so. good for them. It's good to see Satterfield having early success. Um, you know, B.C. is kind of who we thought they were in a way. And I know we mentioned that. That that Virginia Tech yeah, game they, they was sure strange. Are. You know, the, those first games of the well, year are always turnovers. crap shoots. Yeah, it, but it is. It, Ask Miami. You can't win with five turnovers. No, you can't. And so, you know, BC trending in the direction we thought they would. Louisville a little higher than we thought they would. I thought it was pretty cool you commented on those Muhammad Ali uniforms. I thought they were great. Um, you know, I'm not versed enough to know exactly what the imagery on the uniforms harkens back to as far as Muhammad Ali goes, you know, why the white and the black, I'm sure that has some sort of meaning, but I thought it was really cool. The nicest touch on the uniforms was, and I read about this earlier in the year when these got announced is that the only red they wore on those uniforms were the gloves, which are just like boxing gloves. So thought it was pretty cool. touch. I like it. I like it. And for those that don't realize Muhammad Ali from Louisville, Kentucky, Yes. If you're wondering what the yes. uh, connection is there. Uh, Pitt survives a wild Blue Devils comeback, 33-30. Turnovers were really the story of this game, Tim. Uh, the teams combined for 10 of them. Yep. And each resulted in a touchdown in the final 90 seconds of the game. So Pitt was leading this game 26-3 with three minutes left in the third quarter. But then they turned it over on three consecutive drives. So Paris Ford... Uh, who's one of their DBs and ended up getting ejected later in this game for targeting, and he left the field very emotional. Uh, Fumbled a punt return on the pit four. Next play, Quentin Harris rushes it in for a touchdown. First play of the next drive, pit wide receiver Dontavious Butler-Jenkins fumbles. Nine plays later, Deion Jackson takes it into the end zone, so it's now 26-18. And then the next drive, Kenny Pickett throws an interception on third and five. And Pitt takes it down to the 25, or uh, Duke takes it down to the Pitt 25, ends up scoring a touchdown. So Duke then goes for two, and I couldn't find what the term was they were using last night. It was an inadvertent something. It wasn't an inadvertent whistle. It was an inadvertent something is what the rest referred to it as. And 
Duke had ended up getting the two-point conversion to tie the game at 26. And then it gets brought back because apparently it never should have happened. Um, where <laughs> I, I think, like, forward progress was stopped and, like, it should have been blown dead, but it wasn't. Right. So it was like an inadvertent no-call. I think maybe that's what they were calling it. Um, so ended up Duke stayed down by two. Pickett drives down the field four plays later. Pickett's into the end zone. You know, Harris had an up-and-down game. Mostly it was really bad. He was very inefficient. He was 18-43 of for 165. He had five of Duke's six turnovers, including the game-ending fumble. So it was a rough day for Mr. Harris and the Duke Blue Devils, but Pitt ends up surviving, which is something it seems to be a little bit of a trend that they've got <laughs> yeah, going on. No kidding. They're like the cardiac Panthers. So yeah. I don't know what to make of this game. I mean, I kind of take it with the same way as Virginia Tech. You know, they were up big, and they kind of let the team get back into it. But at the end of the day, they, they found a way to win. Yeah, and Kenny Pickett continues to get it done when he needs to get it done. Um you know, we were way off on him at the beginning of the year. He's settling in. Taysier Mack is really settling in as just their go-to guy through the air. Um, you know, there's a lot to like about what Pitt has done and what Pitt has changed about the offense. And really strange to see Quinton Harris have the game that he had coming off the back of Blacksburg and what took place on Friday last week. Um, you know, hard to say. Hard to say how that happens. But, uh, you know, maybe Virginia Tech softened him up for the Pitt Panthers and, and Pitt rolls through and gets a really, really big win for uh, their ACC hopes this year. And when we talk about uniforms, another really good uniform game, Duke in the All Blues with the blue helmet and Pitt in those great, like, I guess they're their new regular uniforms, but they're, they're definitely throwbacks with the yellow pants and the yellow helmet. So um, great uniform work all around. And I, I don't know if this is new or not for Virginia Tech, but we didn't have our matte helmets our Matt Maroon helmets on uh, on Saturday, we actually had, you know, our, our normal, uh, I don't even know what to call the regular helmet uh, finish that you have, but it's a darker maroon and it looked really good. Yeah, it was a little bit of a, little bit of a change up. So uh, it was good news for Virginia Tech that Duke ended up losing uh, because they're going to need them to lose two more times. Uh, and obviously, assuming that Virginia Tech wins out, which is obviously going to happen at this point. Clearly. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, still a lot to go on in the Coastal. I think it's just going to be a week-by-week basis. A lot of big games coming up uh, this week. We've got Virginia and Miami, which is uh, that's going to be a little Friday night football action. So that's going to be a big one. Uh, I think Virginia Tech fans are going to be rooting pretty hard for Miami in that one, um, which is always tough to do, but, you know, it's necessary at times. But, uh, yeah, Tim, I don't know. Any, uh, any last words before we wrap this up? No last words, but go Hokies, man. What a what a much-needed win. And like I said, I'm trying to put this win in a vacuum and enjoy it for what it is because I'm not really sure what our season trajectory looks like right now. Um, you know, we could still be in store for a pretty rough season. But, you know, beating the Hurricanes when we did, how we did, um, man, it's one of those things where as a sports fan, you just sit back and you're like, yeah, this is what I take all of the beating for is for times like this. You know, this is why I struggle through the off season. This is why I take the lumps. Is so, you know, I can have a couple of days like this. So, um, you know, just a word of advice to all the Hokies out there. Maybe try not to look too much into this game and what it means for the rest of the season because I'm not sure that you can take a whole lot out of it uh, given that consistency is not really Virginia Tech's uh, thing right now at the moment. Um, 
But man, enjoy it. That team played hard. They played like the the emblem on the side of their helmets mattered. And really, that's all we can ask for at this moment. So um, yeah, go Hokies, man. That's my only thought. Yeah, I mean, I think you just take it for what it was. And it's a win. Go 1-0. And, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. You beat Miami. Uh, you got those bragging rights for a year. And uh, the biggest thing I'm looking forward to is just seeing the team build off of it. So um, that is going to be the key going forward. And let's look for a little bit more consistency, a little bit more sustained uh, sustained drives on the offensive side of the ball. But that is our show for today. Again, we are Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. You can listen to our show in a variety of ways. Apple Podcasts, Spotify seem to be the favorites. Um but, you know, anywhere that we listen to or you listen to podcasts, you will find Chowder and Grits. Just type it in. We should pop up. Tim, why don't you uh, tell these people what they can do for us? Leave us a review, four and five stars preferred. Share our content. Interact with us on Twitter. You guys are doing a really good job at that, so we appreciate it. Keep it up. Tell your friends. Uh, tell your family. Let them know you know about the best Hokie and ACC-related uh, football podcast in the United States of America. That's us, Chowder and Grits. Uh, as Justin said, you can find us anywhere that you find other podcasts. And just listen, share, interact. We appreciate all you guys do. We appreciate the listens. And so, as usual, I will leave you with a Go ACC. And in this case, Go Hokies. See you guys later.